Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here today. Um, so we're going to be talking about the family structure as we're talking about uh, walking the Christian life. Um, and so before we begin, um, let's open with a, a word of prayer. So Father God, I, I thank you for this day that you've brought us here, that uh, in your providence you've brought each person here to hear these words that are from your word. Uh, your word is sufficient, and it's without error. And so um, even when those things uh, are in conflict with culture and society and what they're trying to, to tell us what is truth, uh, we know that your word is the truth and that the truth will set us free. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear, that, we would, uh, that the word of God will impact us, will um, expose uh, sins, expose areas of weakness and strengthen us and encourage us and edify the body of Christ and as we await for Christ's return. And so we thank you for each person here today and we pray for their families. We pray for uh, their children and uh, those that don't know you, that they would come to Christ and know uh, the joy that comes uh, from serving Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see, uh, we're, we're talking from Ephesians, so if you have your Bibles, you can feel free to go to that book uh, of Ephesians. Um, but I just wanted to kind of give a little introduction because uh, we are in a spiritual war. If you turn on the news and you look what's going on around us, uh, we're in a war to contend for the faith, uh, to defend and protect all that God has designed. Uh, there's a battle to redefine uh, Christianity and his designs um, from from in creation uh, to uh, everything else that you see that he has created, it's been twisted and turned around. The world is trying to redefine sexuality and gender and morality and the family. And in the beginning, God created man and woman. And she was his helper and he was her provider and her protector, flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. They were in perfect harmony without sin. And there, there was order to creation and the Word of God is, gives us all the tools that we need to restore that, that order back. And that is what Christ is doing and is uh, through his reconciliation that he's provided at the cross. But Satan has orchestrated a brazen attack upon the family structure. And John MacArthur said it this way, God is the head of man, man is the head of woman, mankind together presides over the animal kingdom, Essentially, the pattern was God, man, woman, animals, and Satan literally turned that entire system on its head. An animal, the serpent, came to the woman, Eve, counseled her to act independently of her husband, Adam, and to disobey the creator, God. And so the word of God calls Satan the accuser, the father of lies, the tempter, the enemy, the evil one. And the Hebrew word for Satan means to oppose to obstruct or to accuse. And the Greek term literally means adversary. The Old Testament uh, has the, the word Satan as a noun and a verb. And so when you use it that way, as a verb, you see that it means to oppose as an adversary. So our adversary has developed a strategic plan to attack God by going after his creation, and specifically the family. And his relentless attacks have continued and increased from generation to generation. And an article published online uh, by a magazine called Salon said it this way, 
the ideal American family, a father and a mother bound to each other, other uh, bound to each other by legal marriage, raising children bound uh, to to them by biology, is a stubborn relic, a national symbol that has yet to be returned as a thed- threadbare, and somewhat unrealistic. This is the worldview of the family. And so today, Satan has distorted the roles of man and woman. For Christianity had a, created a positive change in the, uh, in the world, in the roles of women and the views of women. Uh, we, there was actually an atheist that recently said that, that because of Christianity that we see a change in society and the view of women as they were viewed as nothing more than property and as uh, sex objects and, and slaves, basically. And so we see Christianity has changed this around. And when you read the book of Ephesians, this book of instructions, it's, it's, he's flipping it around completely. It's this, it's, he's attacking everything that they know and believe and, and flipping it around and showing this is how you're really supposed to treat a woman. This is how you're really supposed to live in a marriage and together in harmony. And so... Although we see these positive uh, aspects of like fe- feminism, for example, uh, such as voting rights and among many other things that came about, we see that Satan has quickly twisted and inserted uh, opposing philosophies to disrupt God's design for men and women. We hear terms today like de- deconstruction of the nuclear family. Um, we see patriarchy. I saw this patriarchy is supremacy. And there is nothing wrong with women working, but the worldly philosophies say that women is free when she serves her employer, but is a slave when she serves her husband and children. See, they see the difference of the way the worldview shows things. And so look how Satan has found openings within positive things, within movements such as women's rights, to take advantage of a good cause, to twist God's design. And now something such as feminism has led to biological men competing against biological women in sports and losing their advantage. So much for the, the making progress in that area. And so rights have now led to 62 million abortions, taking the lives of babies made in the image of God since Roe versus Wade decision in 1973 in the United States alone. And therefore, if a baby is permitted to live and makes it out of the womb, Satan will find another way to disrupt the family. They have a 50-50% chance to come into this world to marry parents. That number decreases when you examine how many of these families are Christians who are actually teaching the ways of the Lord. And so according to a recent secular survey, 85% of children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. However, even when the father is present, if the parents are not married, it is still detrimental to the children. In an annual report, uh, Rogers' uh, professor, and who also co-authored this report, uh, says that there's an increase of uh, cohabitation. And I don't think it's good news, especially for children. As society shifts from marriage to cohabitation, which is, some, is what's happening, you have an increase in family instability. The United States has the weakest families in the Western world because we have the highest divorce rate and the highest rate of solo parenting. And so if Satan can't reach the family in the home, he'll try to indoctrinate our children in the school systems or in the media and teaching them victimhood and tolerance and distorting gender and sexuality and spirituality. He tries to normalize all that's antichrist and marks those who preach the word of God as hate speech, including their parents that are teaching them at home. 
He marks the the biblical family as an oppressive system that must be dismantled. Throughout their life, Satan uh, will try to attempt to create a cycle of anti-Christ beliefs and practices and further destroying the family structure. And so you can see this is so important. We know that there's families that, that have experienced divorce. My family is a, 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 I'm a child of that, and so I understand that. We understand that there's abandonment and all these other things that happen. And this is the beauty of it. This is God's design. This is, the, these things are a result of sin. And so we have to acknowledge that. When we understand that, then that means that we focus on our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And also, we also see that the church has this beauty, beautiful responsibility that when there are families that are facing divorce or there's solo parenting and things like that, that men and women in the church come beside those families and take on that role as the fathers and mothers. That's why Titus 2 says women teach the younger and men the, to, to also be these teachers and to be leaders in the, in the church to, to disciple other young men and to lead them as well. So we see that even in those families that have been affected by sinful uh, behaviors that have led to uh, a disruption in the order of the family, the church is the step up and the fill in the gaps there. And so what we're going to look at right now is Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 20, uh, 33. And so just to give you a quick overview of Ephesians, it, it's a book that's a, a book of instructions for the church. I mean, you've, if you look at this, it'll tell you from the beginning to the end how to live the Christian life. And so we know that the author of this book is Paul because in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he wrote this by the will of God. He was inspired by, by God to write these words. These are God's words written down. And the recipients were the saints in that church in Ephesus. And so who is he talking to? He's talking to the church, the, church, the Christians, and that includes us as well. And so in the beginning part, the first three chapters of this book talks about our heritage in Christ, the root of our salvation. And so he talks about in chapter one, our spiritual benefits in Christ, that we were chosen, that we were made as children, we're adopted as the children of God. And in chapter two, talks about our position in Christ and our salvation experience. He says that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but now you've been saved by the grace of God. And so he's telling us about our experience. And then three, he reminds the church that they, who they are in Christ, and then he prays for them and gives them instructions on how to live the Christian life, and he desires them to grow in knowledge and strength. And then we, we see uh, in chapter 4 and 5, it, in transitions, it talks about, you know, we see this transition from who we are in Christ, our heavenly standing in, uh, in heaven, and then Paul reminds us of all the resources that we have and we possess uh, in, in Christ to live out this Christian life, uh, and then he leads to the fruit. So Christ is the root, and now he's going to the fruit. Now you know who you are in Christ. Now walk in this, because he's given you these, these works to work out your salvation. And so he, he goes through chapter 4. He says, walk in unity. He says, walk in a manner worthy of calling. Be humble and gentle and patient and show tolerance among the believers within the church because you're all sinners saved by grace and you just you need to love each other. You need to, you need to work things out. And he, he says about walking daily, um, building the body of Christ by grace that has been given to us. And we see that 
this is uh, talking about here that we don't act like children. We, we, we're maturing, that we, we're not carried by the waves of false doctrine and teaching, but we, we walk in truth. We love truth. And then he says, don't be like the pagans. Don't, don't be like them who are darkened in their minds and, and try to be separate from the world and, and, and don't, don't live lives that are pure and holy and pleasing to God. And then he says, walk in the love. In, in this beginning chapter that we're going to be focusing on, he says that you were formerly in darkness, but now you're the light of the, lo- the Lord. So walk as children of light. And the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And try, do this to please God. And so he's, he, he's, he's setting this up. He's given us now, all right, this is who you are in Christ. You're, this is who you're supposed to be. Now I'm going to give you some instructions. And we're going to, God's putting things back in order now. So he says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom so that you may, as the days are growing evil, that you walk in wisdom and you live this out. So he says, this is who you are in Christ. Christ is in you. This is how you're supposed to walk in this worth, uh, earthly world. And we are called to live consistent to our faith in Christ. And so, as we talked about in the beginning, that sin has polluted everything. It's tainted uh, nature it's t- and creation, humanity, that we are depraved. We're, we're, we have a sinful nature. And we see that even the Bible says that the, the whole earth groans. And we have a storm coming now to New Orleans. And it's the earth is groaning for restoration to be in, in order again and be in, in, in peace with God and re- reconciled to God. And so God is putting things all in order. All of history is redemptive history. From Genesis, everything is pointing towards Christ and to the day when he returns and all things is made new. And so this brings us to Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33. And if you have your Bibles, let's read it together. And this is the word of God. Starting from 21, it says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband." So that concludes the reading of the Word of God. And those who have ears to hear, I pray that you will hear. And so you see that there's a mutual submission going on here. This is a lot of times when people talk about this uh, submission, it's a trigger word. 
But it, before he gets into the whole uh, instructions for marriage, he says, submit to one another. So if we are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, we must live spiritually led, Christ-like lives. This section of scripture has been taken out of context and used to promote abusive behavior by men and has provoked rebellious behavior by women. And some men have read this chapter and said, see, you have to obey me and do as I, uh, as I say. And some women have attempted to ignore these verses or to use them to declare Christianity as religious oppression. And the Greek word for submit or subject, and I should test the kids back there because we uh, tested them on this, is hupotasso. And if you break down that word, you will find a deeper meaning. So the first part of that word, hupo, is, is under, and tasso is to arrange in an orderly manner. So it literally means to, to place under in an orderly fashion. And so men and women, specifically husbands and wives, are equals, uh, made in the image of God. And Christ has saved them from eternal damnation. And this is the thing, when you put that into context, thinking about our marriages, man, it, it changes everything. Because you see it through a different eye, through a different lens. And so the Lord is, is the Lord of their lives. Their lives are not their own. They submit to Christ for they are bought with a price. They put themselves under and in their proper role under Christ and to each other. And therefore the family is a representation of Christ's relationship to the church. The husband is to reflect Christ in his behavior, leading his home in righteousness. The wife represents the church as she honors her husband and follows his godly lead. That's a church, that's an important part there. Godly lead. Just as the church follows Christ. And the children obey and honor their parents as they desire to glorify God in thought, word, and deed. Now you're starting to see the unity and the order coming back into place. So a world of disorder, disobedience, and selfishness looks upon the Christian family and they see and it sees Christ and a, a portrait of the gospel. So we have to look at our families. Are they seeing the gospel in our families? Or are they seeing uh, something else? And so people reconcile to God in a ministry of reconciliation. That's, that's who we are. Uh, husbands and wives, we're, we're two people that were alienated from God, now reconciled to God in a ministry of reconciliation to, to live out the Christian life and to, to teach our children so that they can be reconciled to God, so that their eternity will be secure in, in, with, with God. So submission, therefore, does not mean absolute servitude, or does it mean that one has greater value than the other? Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 7, that we are joint heirs of the grace of life. Our reverence for Christ, our fear for Christ, that's reverence, and our understanding of our unworthiness of his grace places us in a position of humility. The, the husband subjects, humbles himself to his wife, taking on the mindset of a servant, just as Christ lowered himself from the throne to take on human flesh to lay down his life for his bride. If you remember the sermon about the bride of Christ in July, the wife subjects herself, humbles herself to the authority and godly care of her husband, trusting him to lead their family according to the will of God. Now, that, just that alone sets a beautiful picture up right there. And people often forget about that one verse before getting into the rest of this. 
And so you see that, that, the, that God uses the family to teach about his nature. He uses the family to teach about his nature. The relationship between parents and children is a glimpse of the relationships within the Godhead. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have distinct personal attributes, but without the vision or, of nature, essence or being. And each God, God the, Holy, God the Father, Holy Spirit, Son and Holy Spirit, have infinite value, but yet have specific roles. The Son submits to the Father, and the Holy Spirit exhausts Christ. A.W. Pink said, what one did was eternal, what the other did was external, and what the Spirit does is internal. So we see this work. They're all equal, but yet they have different roles, and they're functioning in unity. And that's how our families are to display God to a lost world. So we see submission um, and equality and perfect order in, in, in this description of the family in comparison to the Godhead. If Satan can distort and destroy the family, he can distort and destroy our ability to understand God's nature. And so we see this other part in verses 22 to 24, and it talks about the submission of the woman. And so that is that trigger word that people have used and misused and abused. And so we see that wives are subject or to humble themselves and put themselves in their proper role, uh, not to all men, but to their own husbands. And before the fall, men and women lived in perfect harmony because God was their sovereign king and they were not tainted by sin. They submitted to his will and were partners in caring for his creation. And so we see humanity wanted to not only be like God, but they wanted to be God. Pride led to the fall and to this day we desire to be sovereign over our own lives. And part of the curse of the sin was conflict between husband and wife. In Genesis 3.16, it says this, you desire, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now this is right after he said, from now on, childbirth will be painful. So there's your part of your curse as well. And so the, and after that, he talks about the curse that comes upon the man. And so what you see here is that Eve was created to be Adam's helper and his support, but now she'll desire to dominate him, to control the situation, to flip the roles around. And then we see that in our societies. This harmonious roles were tainted by sin and joy found in being a helper is now turned into discontentment. And so we see that man will not view himself as a humble leader now, but that he will be a ruler who seeks his best interest. We see the, the effects of sin that has twisted the, the, the order of God. Sin has led to a curse that corrupted God's design, his order, and, tra and transformed harmony into the battle of self-will. And so to restore this harmony according to God's design, a wife humbly sets herself under the authority and care of a godly husband, a man who is, who is led, the head of his family and just as Christ is the head of the church. And for those that may have unbelieving husbands, that Peter also talks about that if you are a believer and, you're, and your husband's not, to live a life that is godly and, 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 and according to what we see here and in hopes that you can win his soul to Christ, that your life is an example of the gospel being proclaimed to him and perhaps you may, you may reach him through just the way you live. And so we see here 
that a man is the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. So he strengthens and edifies and watches over and sustains and in and, and every way works for the good of his bride, and so must the husband. Notice that he did not tell the wives to obey their husbands, just as he did to the children in chapter 6. There's a different role. There's a different, they're equals. Husband and wife are equals, but the children have a different role, a different place in the family. He didn't say to obey. He said, submit, to humble yourself and to, to accept the role that God has given you. Elizabeth Elliot said this, the fact that I'm a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I'm a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. So she represents the church, the bride of Christ. <clears throat> How beautiful is that? She is a co-equal partner with the glorious role of help, comfort, nurture, and teacher. Just as the physical body depends entirely upon the head, we, she willingly trusts her life to the care of her husband, just as we, are, are the church, place our complete dependence upon Christ for our salvation, sanctification, and glorification. So there was a, a story of a mild-mannered man, and he was reading a book about being self-assertive, and he decided to start at the home. And so he storms into his house, and he points his finger to his wife, and he said, from now on, I'm the boss of this place, and from, you better, you know, I'm going to lay down the law, and you better obey me, woman. And, uh, and he said, from now on, you're going to do what I say. I want you to go and fix me a gourmet meal and draw me a bath. And then when I've eaten and finished my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? And she said, the mortician. And so that's a, that's a different, that's, a, that's the wrong view of, of being a leader of your home. So we see that this is something that, that that's a lot of mentality that we see. We see it in, in different cultures, uh, this macho mentality that, that, we, that I'm the ruler of this home. That's part of that sinful curse that we see. But if you look at the verses 25 uh, to 27, man, he, he lays out something that is profound for men. He said, he said to the women to humble yourselves, accept your role as the helper and the, and the caretaker of your home and, 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 and to know that he's your leader and you trust him, but you're equals. And then he goes to the husband, he says, but you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Think about that. Husbands have a great responsibility that we are to represent Christ through our role as husband and father in a world of disorder. Just as there is an attack on womanhood, femininity, and motherhood, there's an attack on men, on positive masculinity and patriarchy. I saw a quote that recently was online, and it said, the three worst words you can say to a boy are, be a man. I mean, think about that's what they're trying to distort, that everything's toxic masculinity, but there is masculinity that's good. And they're saying, that's the worst thing you can say to a boy is be a man, but have a thousand genders, and that's okay. Really, the worst thing that you can say is that, but what does God say about that? 1 Kings 2, 2 through 3 says, God said, I am going, to, going the way of the, all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, 
act like men, and be strong. A real man follows the example of Jesus Christ. If we are to represent him in our marriage, in our family, we must be Christ-like. We are not to, we are not to talk, be all talk, but be about the walk. We're living obedient lives to the will of, of the Father. And to be focused upon the Father's business. And so we, we are to submit ourselves to God. To put our, humble ourselves before God and to, to understand our role. And He is, is, is over us. We submit not to our flesh, but we resist the devil. And we kill sin within us. We hate our sin. We abhor what is evil. And we hold fast to what is good. And like Christ, we endure the world's hostility towards us. And the preaching of the word, we're not ashamed of it. And we don't grow weary. And we don't lose heart. We understand that God is sovereign. He controls all things. And therefore, we depend entirely upon him. We're not anxious about anything. But in everything, we seek his help. And through prayer and supplication from a grateful heart. Considering what Christ has done for us, we must be men of love and sacrifice. For love covers a multitude of sins. Therefore, a man must be bold and brave and courageous and at the same time empathetic and compassionate. We need to be bold men that will stand up for the truth of the gospel. When the world tells you that this is what you're supposed to believe, we stand up and we say, no, this is what the word of God says. When the school system is trying to teach our children, we go home and we teach our children and catechize our children and teach them the word of God and teach them theology and teach them who is God and who are you and who, are, and who is Christ and how much you need him to, and, and show them why you're here because this is, life is, is fleeting. It's a vapor and you're living for eternity. You're a soul with an earth suit. And so this is life is ter- temporary and I want my children to know Christ, to live for Christ and to live for eternity with him. This is the passion of a man that stands up for the voiceless and for the orphaned and for the the aborted babies and the whole list of things that are going on in our societies and we stand up against these things. We're bold and we don't care about what the world tells us. We are to love our wives as Christ loved his bride, the church. And how much did he love his bride? He lowered himself from heaven and sacrificed himself on her behalf. He sacrifices for his family. He protects them, even, when, even to lay down his life for them if need be. Just as Christ works in our lives to make us holy through his spirit, we are called to sanctify our wives by teaching and her and our children the word of God. To wake up in the morning and to, to, to teach them, to pray with them, and to pray for them. And we, we help them to live out the word of God. The result is order in the home that strives to bring glory to God in all that we do. And so just as Paul describes in his letter to the Corinthians, the home is filled with a love that is patient and kind, knowing that each member of the family are sinners who will often fail. Therefore, we are humble and not arrogant, forgiving for we have been forgiven. We don't think first uh, the worst but hope the best in in the intentions of the other and also in the conclusion of a difficult situation. We're not irritable or resentful. We don't permit sin to rejoice, but we rejoice in truth. We must be a family who loves righteousness and desires to live a life of holiness. The wife knows her husband is not perfect, just as she's not perfect, but she submits to his leadership because she understands that he's a man of integrity and of prayer. He hates his sin. He doesn't seek his own way. 
He's not perfect, but yet he repents. He's quick to repent. And she thinks the best of him. And so we see here, as a helper, she strengthens him. And where he's weak, she, she cares for her household. Where he's strong, he helps her and, and her weaknesses. And together, they have unity and a love that displays the gospel and the beauty of Christ to a dark world. They pray, he, she prays for his strength. And she prays that he has wisdom. And he prays and lives out that strength and wisdom as a husband and father, we must be Christ in our home. Think about that. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, we proclaim the word of God to our children, to our families, in the streets, in our, in, in wherever we go. We're bold for the gospel. That's why you're here. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. We're priests. We make sacrifices on, the beha- on their behalf according to his will. And taking care of them physically and emotionally and spiritually. But we also make intercession for our family. What does that look like? It came to mind when I was sitting back there. The book of Job. And in Job chapter 1, verse 6. And here it's talking about he was a man of character. And he had all these possessions. This is before he loses it all. And in verse 5, excuse me, it says, When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, talking about his children, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt sacrifices, even before sacrifices were made uh, uh, something that God uh, ordered. He made offerings according to the number of all of them, all of his children. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. He said, perhaps my kids don't know Christ. Perhaps my kids are on their way to hell. And I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to pray for my children. I'm going to intercede on their behalf. God, save my children. Change their hearts. Change their hearts from stone to flesh that they may put their faith in in Christ and that they may spend eternity with you. Because this is real. There's an eternal element to this. That, that we are going to spend eternity in either hell or heaven. And, our, and as a man, as a husband, as a father, we plead with God, please save my children, while at the same time proclaiming the gospel to them. We're king. We rule our family like Christ. We don't allow sin. We pursue holiness. But we do everything with compassion and love. And so God uses the family to teach us about the gospel. We see that this beautiful portrayal of, God, of Christ's humility and sacrifice for his bride through marriage powerfully demonstrates the gospel to a lost world who is in need of a savior. The world, word of God says that when we repent of our sins we, and place our faith in Christ, God justifies us and adopts us as his sons and daughters. The relationship between parents and their children <clears throat> teaches us about God's relationship with his children. Regardless of our failures, past, present, and future, God forgives us. And he, we never lose his love. We, he may discipline us, but we know that he's working all things for our good. It's an expression of his love and long-suffering. Just as a father disciplines his child out of love, <clears throat> he wants the best for them. So if Satan can distort and destroy the family, he can distort, distort and destroy the gospel, the understanding of the gospel. 
And then in verses 28 to 31, we see it says to love our wife as ourselves. But look at verse 28 even closer. It says to love, your, to love our wives as our own bodies. We love her as if she was literally our own body, our own flesh. She's, my, she's, she's one with me. When she hurts, I hurt. When she suffers, I suffer. See, we left our fathers and mothers to become joined to our wife, not just sexually, but also to made a, made a pact between God and her. And she has made us one. And mutual submission is realized when we humble ourselves to one another and honor our God-given roles. As God places in us our proper roles, he, we, we find that we are now complete. We find that there's peace and there's harmony. Not perfection, but we understand that when there's not perfection, it's because of sin, and therefore we repent and we forgive. God compares the husband to a Christ-like figurehead. However, the wife is compared to the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For there's one spirit, and we're baptized in the one body. So now there's no Greek or Jew or, or men or women or slave that we are one. It's saying there's unity in the church. We're all equals and we are baptized under the Holy Spirit. We're united by the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 23, he states that each member of the body is important and valuable. He says that there are many members but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have a need for you. Or again to the head, to the feet, I don't have need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body each um, seem to be weaker and are necessary. And those members of the body which are deemed deemed less honorable, on these we bestow much abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. So we see this beautiful visual uh, illustration of submission. The body has many parts and organs with a specific function. We are to follow God's design for the family. Uh, the husband will lead humbly. The wife will understand the value uh, of her role. And the children will obey and honor their parents as they seek to glorify God. And so John Piper said this way, Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. And so we see that God uses the family to teach about his church. Peter talks about the church and he says that they're the family of God. In 1 Peter 4.17, Paul refers to uh, us as the household, God's household in 1 Timothy 3.15. And as Christians, we belong to the same family because we have been united to one another through the adoption as sons and daughters of the same father. It is because we are sons and daughters of the same father that Christians refer to each other as brothers and sisters. If Satan can distort and destroy the family, he can distort and destroy our understanding of the church. Can you see why Satan is attacking the family? Pride, divorce, abandonment, cohabitation, homosexuality, sexual morality distort the symbolic uh, nature of the family and blasphemes God and destroys the order and joy that comes with living according to the will of God. Not one family is perfect. 
Forget the social media posts and their filtered and cropped photos. It's not true. They're, 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 that's something they're trying to portray. And we try to compare ourselves often to these families we see online. The reality is that we're in a spiritual battle. And our battle is not with each other, but it's with sin within and the attacks of Satan, which come in all forms in our culture and our society and from all, all areas. And therefore, in order to live out these instructions, we must be led by the Holy Spirit and utilize every resource God has given us to protect the family structure. And so in the conclusion of this, of this, chap, of this book, in, in chapter 6, Paul says how we can defeat Satan and our sinful inclinations. In chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 18, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God. To put that on, because you can't do all these things on your own. With your own strength and with your own ability, you need Christ. You need the Holy Spirit. You need every tool that God has given you. And he says in 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then in verse 18, it talks about praying in all times. And then he says, keep alert, keep alert. And so what we're seeing here is this God throughout all of redemptive history is reconciling sinful men to himself. From the beginning. And so we see this order that God is putting into place. I, w- I want to read real quick this, uh, this prayer. It's a Puritan prayer from the book uh, The Valley of Vision. And I just want you to think about this. This is a father's prayer for his family. It says, O sovereign Lord, you are the creator father of all men. For you have made and support them. You are the special father of those who know, love, and honor you, who make your yoke easy and your burden light, your work honorable, your commandments glorious. But how little your undeserved goodness has affected me. How imperfectly have I improved my religious privileges. How negligent have I been in doing good to others. I am before you in my trespass and sins. Have mercy on me, and may your goodness bring me to repentance. Help me to hate and forsake every false way, and to be attentive to my condition and character, to bridle my tongue, to keep my heart from all diligence, to keep my heart with all diligence, to walk and pray against temptation, and to kill sin, and to be concerned for the salvation of others. Oh God, I can't endure to see the destruction of my kindred. Let those who are united to me be tender, ties, be precious in your sight and devoted to your glory. Sanctify and prosper my domestic devotion, instruction, discipline, example, that my house may be a nursery for heaven, my church the garden of the Lord, enriched with the trees of righteousness of your planting for your glory. Let not those of my family who are friendly, moral, attractive, fall short of, heavenly, of heaven at last. Grant that the promising appearances of a tender conscience, soft heart, the alarms and delights of your word, be not finally blotted out, but bring forth judgment 
to victory in all whom I love. Amen. And so we see God putting these things in order. That we were alienated from God. We were separated from God. And Christ came and he bore the wrath of God that you and I deserve so that we can be reconciled to God as now called children of God. No longer enemies of God, but now seated at his table. How beautiful is that? And that our church, our families are to represent that beautiful truth. That men, we, we go and we look and say, what is my priority? Is sports my priority? Is, is my work my priority? Is my free time my priority? Is my hanging out with my boys the priority? Or am I submitting and caring for the, my children and my wife and caring for her, their needs? And the wives that say, I know that my role is important. It's not, I, don't, I know I don't get a lot of credit. I know sometimes I complain. It causes bitterness sometimes. But I know that my husband values me and loves me and, and cherishes me. And even though I may not get all the accolades that I may get in the workplace, but it's valuable because what I'm doing is eternal value. Because what I'm doing is going to bear fruit for all of eternity. And that all the pain and all the suffering and all the, the, the rebelliousness of children and the, and the strife is the result of sin. My, flat, my battle is not with them, but it is with, with Satan himself. And that I will put on the armor of God and, and, will, will not come, and will cling to Christ and not to my emotions and of the moment. And so children will look at their parents and see that they're these imperfect people that are sinful and need grace every single day, and yet they cling to Christ. They forgive quickly because they've been forgiven much. And they say, there's something about that. My parents are displaying the gospel to me, and I want that. And in turn, you may save that beautiful child for all of eternity, and they will not perish in their sins. And so I pray that for each one of our families, that in these dark times, as we see much attacks coming against us, that we'll be bold and that we'll rely upon each other uh, to be able to withstand. And that's why it says to don't forsake the, the gathering of the church as the days grow darker. We need one another. And we're in this together. We're in this battle together. But we know that Christ is on the throne and he is victorious. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful message of, from your word that you are putting all things into order, including our families. And we pray, Lord God, that you will do a work in our families, in our hearts, that we will be men of integrity and godly and leaders that will seek uh, your will and not our own self-interest, and that wives will see how important their role is as a wife and, and mother and and also their contributions within the church, and that children will come to Christ and that they will cling to Christ from an early age. Because not only do we want them to know Christ to avoid eternal damnation, but to know the beauty of the gospel and the, and the, and the, the beauty of knowing Christ that passes the peace that passes all understanding. So we pray for them and we pray for each one as they go about this week and the years to come and to live out this word. And, uh, and, and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.